You'll notice that we're in part 14 of our Hebrew series entitled Our Faithful High Priest. Now, I hope that this has been as fascinating to you as it has been for me. Uh, we're going to continue to learn uh, new information and different ways of looking at things, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. I entitled this morning's message, Living by Faith, and I want to begin by simply saying this. This is the year of faithfulness. We wrote it on the screen in case you forgot. At the beginning of that word is the word faith. But before we get into that, because I'm going to be beating the issue of faith into the ground this morning, um, I want to just thank you for something. I want to thank you for being faithful in your attendance each and every week. I want to thank you for being faithful in the area of investing in this church uh, with your time. By being here, it's very difficult for us as shepherds to lead and guide you and minister your needs if we have huge gaps in being able to touch base with you. If I'm not able to disciple you on a consistent basis through the word of God, it makes it challenging. I know there are a million other things vying for your time. And I'm not, I'm not playing Southwest Airlines. You know, I understand you have a lot of different airlines you can fly. Thank you for flying with us. I, I, that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm merely saying this. Uh, it matters because we're moving forward as a family, and when you show up to family uh, time together, it, it matters. And I know that you have made um, significant uh, attempts to be here, and I just want to thank you. I know it benefits you ultimately, and it's between you and the Lord, but I just want to thank you as, as a leader here. So thank you very much for that. Now let's, let's dive into this. Faith is at the root of our year concept. Uh, we are to be people that can be trusted to do what we say we're going to do or what we ought to do. People need to be able to put their faith in us and in our word to carry through. We need to be people of faithfulness. Other people should be able to rely on us. Other people should be able to know that we are solid, to know that we will carry through if we deem ourselves Christians or believers we should be people of that character and quality, and that is faithfulness. However, to understand faithfulness, we have to understand faith, so let's define it. Let's, every time you hear the word faith, I want you to think of the word trust. Replace faith with trust, because unfortunately, somewhere along the line, faith got watered down, and we believe that it's only thoughts in our head. We hear phrases like, man, uh, well, yeah, I got, I got faith that the stock market will turn around, right? We use that kind of thing where you have absolutely no idea if it's going to turn around. That's more like wishful thinking or, or hopeful thinking. Indeed, the Bible uh, uses belief, trust, hope for the word faith. That is true depending on the context. But what it means is security in knowing something that is yet to come. I want you to think about the idea of trust. And I'm going to use an analogy that by the time maybe I was 11 years old, I had heard it 34 times, right? So, so if you are over the age of 25, you're going to be bored, okay, on this next analogy. Everyone else thinks it's fascinating. Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, simple analogy. Back in the day, um, there was different people that would mess around with Niagara Falls in terms of, you know, they'd go in buckets over it. And they'd, it was like the, ooh, death-defying daredevil people. All right, whatever. So picture this. The story is that uh, a guy stretched a tightrope line across a portion of Niagara Falls, and he was wowing the crowd going back and forth on the tightrope. 
he had his little thing, uh, his, his little balance beam thing, and he'd go across. And then he did it without the balance beam thing. And, and all the crowd was, yay, they're cheering for him. And he said, all right, real quick. And he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he says, how many believe that I can walk this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And everybody raised their hand. We know you can do it. Yay, yay, yay. He said, all right, who's ready to get in? Okay, big difference. That's the hinge point where everything triggers. Okay, believing when you have nothing at stake, you have no idea what value you have placed in that. You have no idea how secure you believe it to be. If you truly had faith that he could do that, you would have no problem getting into the wheelbarrow. The fact that you hesitate demonstrates a lack of faith in that, right? Every time you hear the Bible talk about faith, it is an absolute confidence and a surety that it will be so. It is getting into the wheelbarrow. That's kind of the point. It's putting your life on the line for that. One of my favorite terms, as you know, for Christians is the phrase believers. And the reason why is because I believe that word means that we accept Christ and his word as truth. And we believe that what he says is reality and we live as if that's so. What a beautiful definition of a follower of Christ is to be a believer, to believe truly God at his word. Very, very important to me. It is what has made uh, most all of the great stories of scripture, great stories of scripture. That people believed God at his word and they began to see him do extraordinary things. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Faith demands certain actions or it's not true faith. I cannot know if your faith is legit until you are tested in activity. You cannot know for yourself. I cannot know for myself whether or not my faith is solid, legitimate, and worthy until it is put to the test. We can talk all day long about what would you do if someone put a gun to your head, said, will you deny Christ? You don't know that until a gun is placed to your head. So the idea is we say a lot. I just not quite sure we back it up that we do the things that we say we believe. One of the things I think that is extraordinary about how the church is growing in other countries around the world is because you can kind of already know the power of a church in a persecuted country. Why? Because they've already been put to the test. You can never really know in fluffy America about persecution not being there, whether or not how deep our faith goes. Simply put, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Faith isn't just what you think. It's also what you live. Faith isn't just what you think. It's also what you live. Say it again. Faith demands certain actions or it's not true faith. The problem with the issue of faith is that the Bible uses the word faith in a bunch of different ways. It'll say, are you in the faith? What does that mean? means, are you in Christianity? Are you a part of a faith? Uh, by the very deepest roots, Christianity is a faith because it is not based on what is seen, but what is unseen. We do not see God. I have seen uh, possibly angels. I have seen 
demons or demonic presences, I have never seen God. So maybe I can say evidence in my life, I've seen supernatural figures. However, that does not mean that I've necessarily seen God. So at that point, it is merely faith to say God is there. I do not have any proof for you. I do not have a YouTube video where he's interviewed. I do not have any of that stuff. But I believe it to be so 100%. Absolutely sure that there is a God. Staking my life on it, staking my eternity on it, staking my family's life on it, and their eternity on this concept. Uh, But our faith... As the Bible uses it, our faith in Christ, our faith that we're a part of, is not based on a concept or a force, but on a person. And that's a big difference. There are a lot of us, perhaps, or a lot of those in the world that really got captured by this concept a number of years ago uh, called the secret. The secret is garbage. Um, if I offended you, I'm sorry. I'm sure I'll offend you again. (laughs) The secret is garbage because what it says is it was a book. It kind of got popular on Oprah and then it kind of went all over the place. It was a book and a video series. And, and what it said was there's a force in the universe that basically draws things towards you based on your thought pattern. Uh, if you dwell on good things, you will draw good things towards you. If you dwell on bad things, bad things will be drawn towards you. Therefore, you need to have positive thinking and picture in your mind good things, and that will create this force that allows good things to come into your life. First of all, it's not biblical. Second of all, it's just irritating. <laughs> the problem with all of that is that it is faith in a force or faith in a concept that is not at all what the bible is talking about what the bible is talking about is faith in a person and that is different let me give you an example all of our faith is based on where it's coming from so an analogy of this faith in your beater of a car that broke down last week to get you home is weak Is it going to get you home? I don't know. It broke down on you every week. So maybe it's not going to get you home. All right. You're not supposed to have tremendous faith in that car. It has demonstrated traumatic weakness. Uh, If it's a relatively new car that has been tested and there's no reason why it should have a problem, then yeah, you can have a stronger amount of faith in that object or that thing because it has proven itself over time. Now, When we have faith in the government to have your individual personal interest in mind, that is weak because it's not designed for that. But when you have faith in God who has demonstrated love by sending his only son to die for your sins, it is solid. That is different. Uh, If I said to somebody that maybe has flaked on me four times or I go, I'm not quite sure I have faith that you're going to show up. That's legitimate. If, however, my mom says uh, she's going to watch my kids this weekend so Susie and I can go away, I am feeling in my mind that it is a lock-solid statement because now over 40 years I've engaged with the woman and I know that she is true to her word. The person makes all the difference. Jesus Christ has demonstrated 
what he's like and how faithful he is. Therefore, our faith can be sure. I don't need him to prove himself moment by moment because he has already done so significantly. I then can move forward with confidence saying this is his type of character. I feel peaceful that he is right. Now, what we are about to read is stories of people who believe that to their core. They did radical things and God did extraordinary works through them because they believe that what God said was fact, whether they could prove it or not. If you haven't already, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going through verse 7 today. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 7. Uh, but as you know, I have the spiritual gift to make anything go long. So don't get your hopes up. You won't get out early. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We'll read through this. I'll pray for it, and we'll talk about what God has for us. It says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that there are many of us here today whose faith is weak and low. Lord, we are perhaps skeptical by nature. Lord, maybe we have not been in your word. We have not been around those that are convinced. And Father, we feel double-minded. I pray that maybe this morning... Holy Spirit, by your power through your word that you might be able to raise up and, and empower our faith that we would believe you when you say it and it would be settled in our hearts. Lord, make us powerful men and women of faith that we might glorify you and please you in Jesus name. Amen. All right, let's do this. Going back to verse one. It says this, now faith, of which we have been speaking this whole intro, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance, I am sure that that which I look forward to, and I hope that there is an afterlife, because otherwise I'm completely screwing this whole thing up. If there's no afterlife, I'm living improperly. Paul was very clear about that. 
If indeed there is no resurrection of the dead, we should be pitied most among men. That Christianity is a stupid way to live if there's no Jesus Christ risen from the dead, right? However, I am hoping that there is a heaven and a reward and an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. Therefore, I am sure of it and I live as if it is so. That is faith. It is the conviction of things not seen. I speak to you about unseen realities as if they are fact. I speak about the fact that there are angels and demons and God and there is all kinds of moving parts in our world and there's going to be a return of Christ and there's going to be all these things you can't see and I speak with surety because to me they are fact. This is what we're talking about. This is not flighty hopes. This is solid confidence that it's fact. When you see it and it is obvious, it's no longer faith. It's something else. Many of us don't seem to understand why God would remain so removed. Man, if God really wanted me to walk with him and be with him, why didn't he just open up the heavens, come down and hang out with us? You go, well, first of all, he did that in Jesus. Does he do it every generation? No. Second of all, why would he ruin what he has going? You go, what do you mean? What does he have going? Right now, we can't see him, but we trust him. Do you understand how honoring that is? Do you understand how beautiful that is? Do you understand what type of glory emanates out from us when we believe God, even though we don't have proof, but we trust him at his word? Do you understand what that means? Do you understand how that then condemns Lucifer, who saw God in all his glory and still chose to rebel against him while we little dirtbags here in the world don't see God and we glorify him as such? Do you understand how embarrassing that is to the enemy? Do you understand how it shows our value of God so high that we are willing to say, Lord, I don't have all the answers. I can't even see you right now. I pray and the majority of the time I'm not hearing anything, but I believe that if you tell me you are near, then you are near. Do you understand the value, the glory that rises up from that? Why would God ruin that? You go, well, because it would be easier. Do you understand that for those that believe in Jesus Christ and are saved by the power of his blood, that we will be with God face to face far longer than anything here? We're only here for a tiny amount of time. So why would he hijack the one little time when we can give the offering, the only time we're ever going to be able to give that offering again. Right? This is our act of worship. And we're not going to be able to do this same act of worship once we are in his presence. You have a limited opportunity to glorify God in this manner right here, right now. Why do you want it to go away? Faith pleases God. Faith demonstrates that he matters to you you know there's this childlike faith that jesus talks about that he wished that we had the faith where when i tell my little girl something it's fact 
when I tell my little girls, um, they'll say things like, uh, I remember when uh, so many different times when they were little, and Andy still does it, but they'll periodically question and go, you're going to be there, right? Like, you were, you're not going to leave me home alone, right? Well, it's funny because there's no way in the world I would leave her home alone. So, so I'd go, absolutely not. Of course I'm going to be there. And then her little body relaxes. Well, Daddy said he'll be there because to her it's fact. When will we become children of God like that? That when God says, I have your best interest at heart, I will take you home. I will be with you. I will minister to your heart. I will not reject you. I will not forsake you. When is it enough just to hear daddy say that and we lock it? You know, it hasn't changed at all since the garden, right? It says when Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was beautiful in sight, that it was desirable as food, that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate. But God said no. Where did she learn that it was good for food when no one had ever eaten it before? Oh, she learned it from a snake. Where did she learn that it was good for gaining wisdom? Oh, she learned that from a snake. When did we start listening to snakes and not our dad? When did that, because the serpent, the enemy, Satan, whatever you want to call him, he will slide up next to you and go, I think God's holding out on you. God does not have your best interest in mind. He is consistently trying to place burden on you that you don't need to have. So what I would suggest is you take the shortcut. You do things for you. And we go, yes, that is a great plan. And God says, no, that's a terrible plan. But we want to go with the one that gives us a benefit now. Right? Where is our faith? Our faith is the fact that to us it's truth by which we live in obedience to God. Okay, verse 2, he says, by it, by this confidence in God's truth, despite circumstances or sight, the people of old, that word is the elders, the elders of the past, the people that have gone before us, the, the people in scripture who are written down, by it, the people of old received their commendation. God said to them, well done, you made me look good, you made me smile, you blessed my heart. Why? How did they do that? Through faith. It demonstrated God's glory. Obedience was their worship act. Now, let me just do a quick side note, side tangent, rabbit trail, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I briefly mentioned this last week. Let me drive it home. Does everybody realize that human beings operate on faith Every day on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. The reason why this is important is because people will come up to you that do not believe in God or do not believe in Jesus Christ. And they'll say, I can't believe that you guys have this faith thing. How stupid. You have absolutely no proof of what's going on, yet you're gearing your whole life towards it. You're putting your life on the line for it. You've got nothing that you can prove. You're not testing this stuff. You're just going with it. And you can't even see God, and yet you're ordering your whole life as if this is real. How foolish. All right. They, too, are living in a moment-by-moment -moment faith world. Here's why. We are having this service at it started at 9 a.m currently it is 10 7 a.m 
up to this point, you have already demonstrated at least seven massive acts of faith just to get here. Here's why. Number one, showering. You're like, what? That's stupid. It is stupid, but follow me. Here's what we do. The shower, by and large, unless you're weird, is behind you, and it's washing your hair. You'll actually lather, rinse, repeat, right? You're doing the whole thing on the bottle. You're doing this whole thing. You have no idea what is coming out of the spout until after it hits you. You therefore have no idea if there's a break in the line and somehow there was a sewage break and now the sewage has leaked in. It is now pouring out over you. You're still lathering it into your hair until you open your eyes from the shampoo and realize that sewage has poured out over you. No one is consistently checking backwards to make sure that clean water is pouring out of the spout. You are taking it by faith that you have clean water. You don't even know what's in the water. You haven't examined that. You didn't test it. You didn't put it in a lab. You just seem to be cool with taking a shower, right? Hygiene. You just brushed your teeth, right? And you put on, let's say you started a new bottle of toothpaste. You're brushing your teeth. You have no idea, have not tested the fluoride levels in your toothpaste. You go, fluoride levels? That's stupid. Hold on. Do you everybody know the little fluoride drops that you give kids? Little kids, when they're growing up, in Folsom, we have not awesome water, so we have to do fluoride drops. Well, me, as a father, misread the back label and thought it said teaspoons and it said milliliters, and I gave my children an awful lot. We had to call poison control and go through the whole thing when they were young. Why? Because extreme amounts of fluoride cause all sorts of damage and it's toxic and poisonous to your body. Yet you didn't check any of that in your toothpaste and have no idea what levels you're putting into your system because you're trusting that the box says it's right. That is faith. Meals. You have probably already eaten food that has been deemed safe, but you have no idea what you're eating, right? Driving, you assume that when it says green, that means go, red means stop, yellow means speed up. We know the rules. (laughs) However, you're assuming everyone else is following those rules. You made all these faith statements with your car that everyone's going to maneuver in the exact same way. You are hurtling your family down a road in excess of 60 miles an hour on tires that you have no idea if they're going to blow at any moment. If they blow, you will likely upend, roll your car, and who knows what kind of damage will happen. Yet every day you drive by faith that your tires will remain. Sitting. No one ever here, when you sat down, tested your chair that you weren't going to look like an idiot when it broke underneath you and you fell on the floor and we laughed at you. You have probably been in unventilated rooms. You go, unventilated rooms. Recently in the news, a family of eight was just killed by carbon monoxide poisoning. You cannot taste it. You cannot smell it. You cannot uh, uh, see it. And yet they were killed because it was present in the room and they had absolutely no idea. They now have little monitors. Most of us have not bought a monitor because we have faith that it's not in our room. Got it? Communication. You have talked to people and you have assumed that what they're telling you is true and you have not done any research to make sure it is so. All right. Have I sufficiently made the point? Everyone in this world, human beings, 
do things on faith on a moment-by-moment basis. We are not weird. We are not odd. We are not unusual. We are just doing what human beings do. If we stopped and tried to research and back up and get proof for everything in our lives, we would seize up and be unable to move forward at all. We have to move forward on the basis of faith, and Christianity is no difference. We have found that we choose to put our faith in someone that has been more faithful in the past than anyone else in our lives. I think that's a wise decision. All right, verse 3. Wow, we're flying. Verse 3, by faith, by believing it's legit because God said it, we understand, we believe, and we know that the universe, our reality around us, was created by the word of God. Not just his breathing expression, but things are built by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, who is the word of God, the Logos. We believe that so that what is seen, our physical universe, was not made out of things that are visible. It is not just a reforming. It is not just an evolution. It is an ex nihilo that regardless of what your view is about creation, all views believe that at one time there was nothing and God created the heavens and the earth. Why? Because he said he did and that's fact. It is not about denying science. It is about allowing science to catch up with Scripture. That's different. Science morphs through the years. It comes up with different theories of reality. If Jesus tarries, it will ultimately begin to realize that God is right. Now, will our assumptions and our interpretations of Scripture, how everything worked out, turn out to be right? Maybe not. But that does not mean that God is not right. God is always right. By faith, verse 4, by believing that it's legit because God said it, Abel, Adam and Eve's son, brother to Cain, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Why? Everybody remember this story? Cain's maybe the firstborn male that they have, his younger brother Abel. Remember that? They were to bring sacrifice offerings before God. Cain brought some fruit of the land where he was in charge of. Abel brought a flock lamb that he was in charge of. They presented it to God. God rejected Cain. God accepted Abel. Cain got mad and jealous about that. God had a dialogue with him. Cain was still angry, killed his brother. We all know the story? All right, that story always bothered me because it sounded like it was just random. Uh, and, and unfortunately, what we do is we go, well, that's not fair. Cain was in charge. He brought the stuff from his place. The fact that Abel was over the lambs, and we all know God loves dead animals better, that was totally unfair. Okay, first of all, that's not the case. Both sacrifices are legitimate under the Mosaic law, which wasn't even in effect yet. They are both 100% legitimate. They were to bring it. The content of their sacrifice had nothing to do with it. Then what was the problem? Their hearts. It's always a heart thing. Here's the dialogue God has with Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Hey, kid, I'm not rejecting you just to reject you. I'm rejecting you because your heart is screwed up. You're not even focused on me. You're going through the motions. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. 
Well, obviously that didn't work, and Cain ended up killing Abel and was punished by God. The Jews came up with all kinds of weird stories, and I wish I had time to tell you some of them. I learned some pretty freaky stories uh, about folklore of how that whole thing went down. Here's the bottom line. Cain didn't take God seriously, and Abel did. There you go. So let's be very practical about our faith. There are some of us here that are merely giving God the leftovers and we're merely giving him a little bit of our lives because that should be enough for him. And the rest of us are all in. Let me ask you, where are you at? Do you live as if God matters? Do you live as if he matters a lot? Is he the center of your universe? By faith, verse 5, again, by believing it's legitimate because God said it, Enoch, who's that guy? Enoch, as a matter of fact, in Genesis, he's mentioned twice, but it's two different guys. Cain's son was named Enoch, a city was named after him. That's not this guy. This is the seventh in generation down. I'm assuming that he was named after his forefather, Enoch, and so the same name came up twice. Now, check out who this guy is. He is Noah's great-grandfather, all right? Get that in your mind. Then what's intriguing is that his dad's name was Jared, okay? The subway guy. That is what is so odd. (laughs) That's not really it. His dad lived 962 years his son lived 969 years methuselah the longest living man in recorded history so his dad lived almost as long as his son he's like second in line so talk about longevity in the family right all right he lived 365 years and then he was gone Why? Is it because he died? No. He is only one of two men in the entire scripture that is recorded as not having died. What happened? Let's take a look. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Jude 14 says that he was a prophet of judgment. Here's what we can extrapolate from the information. Enoch lived before the flood. The world was going to hell really fast. It was getting nasty and ugly and bad. It was not a happy place. Here is one man on the face of the earth that God looked down and said, you are awesome. It says of him twice that he walked with God. What does that mean? It means that he did what God asked him to do and in a childlike faith was God's man for his generation. Why did God take him away? We don't know. There's a million speculations about it. As a matter of fact, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, nothing has written about more than Enoch. There's books about Enoch and this and all this stuff, and it's all conjecture. It's not written by him. It was written way later, blah, blah, blah. But everybody wants to wonder what it was about. Here's the most likely guess. 
the most likely guess is that God said, you are rocking. I love you, kid. You absolutely demonstrate me. You have been under the heat for 365 years. Everybody hates you. You're preaching your guts out. You're trying to tell the world what's up. Nobody's even listening to you. I just want you to know I'm listening to you. I love you. And you know what? The curse of mankind to die for their sin. I'm just telling you right now, not in your case. Come on, kid. Let's go. There you go. That's the most likely read. You go, that's impossible. God doesn't do that. It says that it's appointed once for a man to die. He did it with Elijah. And you go, well, okay, so two people. It's going to happen when Jesus comes back, right? He shows up. If you're alive when Jesus Christ returns, guess what? He's going to go, come on, kids, let's go. But we haven't died yet. Really? You want me to wait? <laughs> come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're out of here. Come on, come on, come on, right? It's not like it's not in his MO. Of course it is. In the same way with Enoch, he merely reached down and said, we're done here. We're going home. That's awesome. Why? Because he believed God at his word. It says, without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please God. Why? For very practical reasons. Because whoever would draw near to God has to believe that he exists. You're not going to draw near to something that's not there. You're not going to pray to a God that doesn't exist. You're not going to adhere your life and obey somebody that's bogus. You must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that God has a well done, good and faithful servant for you? If you do, you'll live differently here. If you don't, you'll live differently here. There are martyrs that have walked up to being killed, sawn in two, drawn and quartered, burned alive, boiled in oil, that have walked up and said, bring it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Kill me. Why? Because I don't live here. I'm moving on. They absolutely believe that when God says there is something beyond, there is something greater, and that's ultimately what you were built for, they live differently here. Do we have that kind of faith? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent respect, reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this act of faith, he condemned the world as they being faithless and became an heir of the righteousness, the stuff that makes God smile, that comes by faith. You remember the story of Noah? It says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. 
Noah had three sons. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. Behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, quote, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. For 120 years, Noah built a boat. Likely in a world that it did not rain. Perhaps on land away from bodies of water. We cannot know that for the flood schismed the world and changed the whole makeup of the surface. Why does he need a four-story boat? A huge monstrosity. It was estimated that it is 438 feet long, 73 feet wide, 44 feet high, which is, as one commentary said, one and a half football fields long and four stories tall. It is 96,000 square feet. How many people are getting on the ark? Eight. How many people are righteous? The Bible is very clear that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You want to talk about lonely? Try building something moronic for 120 years. It's not like they can't right in the middle of it go, dude, it's been 50 years. There's nothing going on. And the fact that there's nothing going on only makes your message about God bringing judgment on me for the way that I live sound absolutely stupid. So talk about a horrible ministry. Noah preached for 120 years and no one got saved. That's pretty dismal. That's pretty dis- uh, uh, discouraging. And yet he's out there every day. One of the commentaries pointed out he didn't have sons till after he was 500 years old. That means he had little to no help up front from anybody. It's just him going to Home Depot. I need another order. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And you're building this massive, massive structure in silliness. Why? Because God told him to. That's it. And no one else on earth would do what God said the way God said it. And God looked at Noah and smiled. Noah's like, can I bring some friends? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Do you understand they got saved because of Noah's faith? What a horrible existence that poor man had. But God liked him. This phrase I thought was so awesome. I just got to read this to you. In Ezekiel fourteen twelve, it said this. And the word of Yahweh came to me. Remember, Ezekiel's a prophet. Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men were in it, they would deliver but their own lives for their righteousness, declares the Lord God. Who are those three men? Noah, Daniel, and Job. God continues to use them as an example. Even if my big dogs were here, Noah 
right? Daniel, the lion guy. Job. What was Job's big thing? Oh, that's right. He just hurt a lot. Did he do anything extraordinary in ministry? Nope. God uses him as an example. Where are my people? Where are my faith people? Where are my strong people? If I tell you to put baloney on your head, put baloney on your head. Why? Because I told you to do it. But God, that's silly. Who are you to say what is silly? What I'm looking for, God says, is someone that will believe me at my word. I get it. We are normally quizzical. We are skeptical. We have questions. And I'm a question guy. I love asking why. I have no problem with people asking questions. But at some point, if God has already demonstrated his character, why do we continue to question his character? Now it becomes an insult. It is not that he has not demonstrated to us his nature. He has. And so he asks again, where are my people of faith? Who will do what I say when I say it? Let's close in prayer and I'll give you the final challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for being so kind to us and so gracious to us and so loving towards us. Father, would you melt our hearts and, and break them down and rebuild them into hearts of faith? Would you infuse into us, Lord, the ability to be around each other who are convinced and fired up and reading your word and being convinced of the impossible and how we could walk through fire with you and fire could scream down out of heaven, Lord? Would you make us the type that believes that if you walk on water, we can walk on water. Father, change our hearts and make us mighty in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Closing challenge is simply this. What would it look like if you were all out? What would be different in your life? How would it appear to everyone else? What things would you do different this week? Write down three of them. Start working on one. Amen.